Hi, this is Dave Bickler, the original voice by the Tiger, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Welcome to episode 408 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 408, we have two guests. We have joining us uh, Dave Bickler. Dave Bickler and maybe a name that uh, doesn't immediately come to mind, but I can guarantee his voice does. The voice of one of the most iconic songs in rock, the original singer of Survivor, the voice of Eye of the Tiger. Uh, he is got a brand new solo album out called Dark Light. Uh, so we're going to talk to him in just a few moments about that. Also joining us in the show, we have a longtime veteran of the Pittsburgh music scene, John Vento, who has got a fantastic album out as well. So we're going to talk to him in just a little bit. First, we're going to play you a little bit of Dave Bickler's album Dark Light, and we're going to get into that interview.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome the Iron City Rocks we have on the line. Dave Pickler, how are you doing, Dave? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing very well. You um, are just just released your first, and it's hard to believe your first, solo album, Dark Light, um, is available now, and obviously we have the, the new single, Home. Um, can you talk a little bit about why at this point in your life you know, you felt the call to put out an album because obviously in the music industry, it's a calling to do this. This isn't, you know, a financial move at this point in the game. Yeah, no, not like it. It's not like it used to be. But, but you know, I I've been like writing songs for a long time, and I've I've had bands. Mm. I've been in, you know, after, after I left Survivor, that mm. we made recordings. I made all mm. kinds of recordings, but didn't, never, nothing ever was released from all that. Um, right. But, just that you know, just here, uh, I just decided that you know I, I had all this stuff, and I, I was going to, you know, make a record. And and now there's, you know, I I'm not in a band, but there's there's different all kinds of ways to make records nowadays. So I knew that I could I could do it, and I I uh, decided that I would you know, try to get these songs committed to to uh, you know to the record properly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I embarked on you know this solo project of mine, <laughs> and uh, it was quite, it was a bit of a journey. Can you talk a little bit about the life of the songs as far as, uh, you know, are these songs you've been kind of working at over years, or is this sort of a concentrated writing for purpose? Yes, some of them uh, uh, were, uh, you know, kind of from the past that I, some, something that I have mm. couldn't quite get finished or, you know, right. didn't know how to quite, uh, you know, sum up. And then some of them were very new and done uh, along the process. As I started, embarked on it and started mm-hmm. working on the record, I, I was writing songs up the whole time. And some of those are, so it's a collection of kind of that old and new stuff. Um, yeah. And I, it amazingly, kind of all holds together. I think. Yeah, it, it is a very cohesive feel to it. Um, do you are you a, a solo writer or are you more of a collaborative you know do you have people you bounce ideas off of and melodies and things I'm, like I'm that really yeah i'm really a solo writer i mm. mean and maybe that's held me back you know but i i uh i, I have a, a a vision that i'd like to preserve you mm-hmm. know and and so i guess i waited this long partly for that reason too that i could uh, you know it, it could be the way i wanted it to be right now having said that i did collaborate along the way with the people i worked with uh um, and in, in fact, when I, after I got, you know, I, I did the basic tracks, uh, and dr- drum tracks out in LA with Ryan Hoyle, who, uh, p- formerly of Collective Soul. He's got a drum studio out there. A friend of mm-hmm. mine recommended him to me, and he was just fantastic. So I took my demos out there. He played drums, and Brad Smith from Blind Melon p- provided bass parts, you know, and he helped out with the, in the studio too, out, out there. And then I brought it back here and went into the studio with Steven Diakoudis, um, and to finish it, and he played a bunch of guitars, and re-recorded all the vocals again, and it was kind of like that, you know, it was a long sort of uh, process of where we ended up, but I, I was very happy with the, you know, the, the result. Yeah, and that, that's no, no easy task when you, when you, these are, you know, essentially your children, these songs, you know, you put, you know, your emotions and, and your heart into to writing those, it's not always mm-hmm. an easy thing to turn it over to musicians, you know, you've got to have people you really trust and can communicate with, and, you know. That is so true. Mm. <laughs> that was my feeling exactly. I wanted to make sure that it was the people that I could really mm. communicate and, 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 and trust, you know. And, uh, you know, it went, and bands, you know, as they evolve over time, that, that kind of thing can start to go away, you know what I mean? Right. You know, tensions evolve and people, you know, different, you know, personalities and people that you spend a lot of time with, you know, 
so um, it was just uh, it was really a great experience, you know, mm-hmm. doing this record. Yeah, it's got to be kind of a different from you know albums in in the past that you've worked on, at least the commercial ones available, obviously. Um, yeah, you know situations there. Um, the do you, do you plan on touring much with this, or is that still kind of you know the albums? No, you just want to get over the newness of it, and then you'll worry about you know that kind yeah, of thing. Well, I, I'm gonna see you know how, how it goes we're we're it's rolling it out and mm. you know I'm trying to get get as much attention as I can bring attention sure. to it i I actually did i was over i did a, um, four shows over in the u k and uh uh let's see what was it uh march i can't <laughs> i can't anyway it was four shows ending up the hard mm. rock hell and uh, right. you know and we played a couple of songs from i played some you know survivor songs but I also played two songs from the new album sure. and they were they were well received you know people liked it so i mean i'm going to continue to do that and i've got some more shows booked and and you know the lining up shows in the u.s i, I want to you know get as much attention for the record as i can sure. hopefully we'll be able to go out and, and play some dates here is it you know I, I know this is it's difficult for artists in 2019 who are you know a brand name to put out new material and have audiences accept that into a set list i you know i know uh, Kiss is a great example. They continue to make records, but nobody really gives the the new songs a fair shot. Do you find, you know, in, in the U, I know you've done some touring in the U.S. and the U.K. and things like that, that certain audiences are allow you to to be more than just the guy from Survivor. Uh, is that so far? Yeah, yeah so far everybody. Mm. <laughs> they, uh, you know, I, I've been op- I've been playing Hope, and I've played a, a song Always mm. You from the record. And I, right. when I was over over in the UK, I got a great reception from those mm. songs. They, they 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 accepted them, which I, I you're right. It's a very daunting thing, and I was yeah. worried about it. You know, uh, that 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 they would just not react to it, or you know, yeah. just you know, it's hard to put new music to people. They they come and they'd like to hear things that yeah. you know you your recordings that you've made. So it's a hard thing to do. Like you said, Kiss hard for them yeah it's almost easier you know you you know it's funny when you look at bands that you know in the 80s they got real big on their first album it was always kind of sketchy when they would do headline shows even no matter how popular they were because they didn't have enough to fill a set you know so they're throwing songs (laughs) no one's ever heard it was almost like the sweet spot was the sophomore album you know because then you could play you could do enough to headline play enough songs that everyone knew but you weren't taking songs out to put new songs in. As soon as you get to that third album, that's when it gets a little dicey. You've got to start, you know, pulling songs out of a set list to make room for new songs. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like it's gotten ever more difficult. I, I talk to contemporary, you know, bands that are, you know, doing an album every two years, uh, you know, and they, they deal with that. Now, you know, people want to hear the second, third album, not the eighth or ninth album. And it isn't, you know, of 20 course. years in between. It's It's relatively quick album so um i often wondered that with yourself now you got into obviously and 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 made kind of a a landmark recording in the advertising world with the real men of genius um can can you just talk a little bit about how you got into working in advertising and what kind of opportunities there are in that kind of market yeah it's it's kind of amazing because i was in doing that when i was a teenager i i was in a band um called the jamestown massacre sure and yeah, you know, we had we had a little record out that was, you know, just a, we were just kids. We were not ready for any of that stuff, you know. Right. But through through that band, my friend Mark Zabel, the ba- the bass player and James Tom Massacre's father, Art, worked for J. Walter Thompson, and he heard me sing, and he 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 
he told me, you know, I, I think you, I could co- connect you up with this jingle producer guy here in Chicago. You might be able to get you some, some work. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, I, uh, first, I think my first good commercial was a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial, and I, you know, I got a check for you know three hundred dollars. Yeah, that's, <laughs> mail. That's, I was like, whoa! That's, <laughs> you know, that's so like an I, album you know, advance. <laughs> Yeah, I did hundreds of commercials, you know, in Chicago, and th- that's that's how I got connected up with Jim Peterick, you know, and, and got so how Survivor mm-hmm. formed is, uh, you know, he, mm-hmm. we we were we were doing jingles together yeah. in Chicago, and uh, so that, yeah, and then much later on, of course, I, I, I was doing jingles again in Chicago, you know, out of Survivor, and sure. uh, I, I I was working with Sandy Toronto who. Uh, was the production house that produced the Real Men of Genius, and he he, he brought me in for the demo. You know, and they were looking for an '80s rock singer. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it, it's interesting because you're almost kind of a, a ahead of the curve, you know, because since then music placement has become so vital in video games and and uh, oh, yeah. you know commercials it's, that uh, you know. It's, it's one of a, the good streams of income you can get, right? If you're an artist, you know, yeah. you get if you can get your stuff on a commercial or a game, or oh man, that's really that's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, you you think about it in in a lot of times you're probably making more off a Honda commercial than you make going into the studio making an album going into the debt that you know involved in making an album paying to promote it and all that stuff you know did you we'd spend you know we'd spend over you know close to a couple hundred thousand dollars making a record in Survivor you know it's crazy sure yeah I mean not not that it wasn't you know when you listen to the albums they were certainly worth you know at least from a fan's perspective what you put into them but you know from a financial yeah. standpoint it's a, it's an investment and i think a lot of people lose sight of that they think a record company's just going to hand you 2 million bucks to make an album and they don't care if you sell it you know it needs to sell um, it needs to sell <laughs> exactly now did you write when you were working with with advertising did you write a lot of the music or did you were no. these were studio writer no, or that, you know staff writers yeah, they have staff writers. Everybody, mm. yeah, they that was all carefully controlled by you mm-hmm. know the the agency. It was DDB in the point in the case of uh, Real Men of Genius. Although I have to say, I wrote some of the lines of Real Men of Genius. I didn't got, get paid for it or credited for mm-hmm. it, but that was such a free for all thing in the studio yeah. and doing those that you're throwing out any anybody's throwing out lines, you know, to try in those yeah. crazy commercials. And I a couple of lines ended up on them, you know. You so, know, it, it, it was such a a neat uh, kind of phenomenon when those hit. You know, and you know, you would kind of just stop what you were doing. Like, and to this day, I can't even tell you. I don't even. Rem- and please don't tell anybody this. I'm probably not good for you. I don't remember what the product was, but I remember the commercials. You know, <laughs> I remember yeah, the humor yeah. in it. You know, the That's- multi sweater wearing, color wearing guy, and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, we know. didn't. We 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 did mention the product, but the the the, the, the little comedy routine did overshadow it. Some yeah, exactly. Said, yeah, it was Bud Light. By <laughs> Bud Light. <laughs> Okay. Props, to, props to Bud Light. Um, when, when you guys were kind of tapped, the the song "I the Tiger" obviously has become just an iconic song in, in American history. Really, uh, I don't even want to say in rock. I think it, it's it's risen above that. Was the song yeah. really? Were you guys aware that you, there was a slot in the movie? Because I know you you guys did some other film work and and, and such. But was that song? Um, written with the film in mind or was it someone heard it and said this would fit perfectly here no it was done specifically for that mm-hmm. movie it was mm-hmm. written and recorded just to be in that movie and of course 
we were ready to get ready to make another album and that mm. opportunity came along Tony Scotty we were on Scotty Brothers Records distributed right. by Epic uh, Sylvester Stallone knew Tony they were friends you know Hollywood friends right. and uh, he, he said he told him I'm looking for a band I want a band and in the beginning of this I need a you know for the opening fight scene it, it right. was another one bites the dust by Queen that was what was in that slap and right. they would not allow it sure. so um, he heard our premonition album and on hearing that he said can they write me a song so the songwriters did we went in the studio cut the song he heard it said yeah I like it and that's it did you have a sense when when you were laying on the vocals for that even remotely what that song would become for you guys well I knew we were doing this for the movie we didn't have it wasn't a Mm. slam dunk at all sure but uh, I felt I felt there was a certain swing to that song that's Mm -hmm. kind of unique and the way the melody weaves in between and it's just me which is kind of unusual you know there's no you know just a solo vocal and it's kind of a sparse you know I right. it did have something to it and, and you know it, we were we were you know preparation meets opportunity the band was mm-hmm. you know ready to kick that you know on you know and do that at right. that point we were you know everybody had two albums under our belt so you know yeah yeah we were in the right place at the right time yeah exactly i mean and it went with the right you know, like you said it was preparation meets opportunity it wasn't just you know yeah, yeah. we were all veterans you know for long right. years of, you know you know yeah. studio work and yeah work and, and all that and if I may ask, was was the work that you guys did doing commercials maybe part of that preparation to know about, you know, I want to say the sense of commerciability, but, I mean, you had a sense for what people wanted to hear, you know, you know when now, it I came to, to I how you... I don't think at pre- that time, at that time, I don't think so. I think they were two very distinct things, and not mm-hmm. so much anymore. Sure. Not so much anymore, you know, some commercials there they got guys writing some pretty cool stuff and music and they use a lot of also it's you know songs that are yeah. actual songs so it's right. commercials but uh, not so much at that time you know the right. commercials were were just advertisements you know kind of um, so I, I don't think so I mean, but I just I think it was you know st- you know you if you're a musician in a band you listen mm-hmm. to all kinds of music you the, the things that you, you love you know the stuff is popular you know, and and everything else, you know, and that right. all goes into what you sort of become as a musician. It's all mm-hmm. the stuff you've you know experienced. Did you have an opportunity to see the film prior to singing it, or was it you know you saw it for the first time like everyone else did? I did not see those rushes until we went out and met Stallone out in California uh, to mm-hmm. look at it against you know the sort of a, 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 a near product end of production sure. piece of that uh, that opening sequence we, we did look at it against that that's the first time I saw the opening but I didn't see the rest of the movie okay. uh, the other guys did the, the songwriters did they had a, a rough cut yeah. of the movie mm. and they, they did see that yeah that's a really uh, just like I said it's become such a you know to this day you see people kind of gearing up for sporting events to that you know it, it's become yeah um, it's crazy man yeah, it is a kind of a pinch yourself thing. Um, the the new album is out. It came out just earlier this month, correct? In March fifteenth, if am I right That's on the March date? March fifteenth. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. So folks can get that album. I know it's a, there's a link on uh, was merchbucket.com. The album is available. Is, yeah. um, you can go to davebickler.com too as well and get the link okay. to that. You know, as well. So that's Great. Always a place you can go. Do you have any um, any shows lined up this any more shows lined up this year? Is still kind of just kind of see 
Any one-off type? I got, a, I got a couple. There's a there's a rock versus classic show going on over in France, and and and, and then one coming up here in May. Uh, there, it's a it's called Rockland. It's a it's a festival, mm-hmm. I guess. And you know, me me and some other Joe and Turner and Bobby Kimball and uh, right. uh, Fran Cosmo are gonna go and play uh, down in Santiago, Chile. That's coming oh, that- up in May. That's awesome, Fran. That's a that's a, and Joe no slouches on vocals there, to be uh yeah right everybody up up in their game. I love those kind of things where you see the singers kind of you know you you've seen guitarists do that kind of stuff fest. for years. Yeah, <laughs> singer fest, and you can't have that without Mr. Turner on the lineup. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Dave, I want to thank you uh, so much for your time. Again, the album is available now. Dark Light, uh, the single Hope, fantastic. So I wish you all the best, man. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you, man. All right, a big thank you to Dave Bickler. Again, that album is available now. Uh, you can get that at iTunes or you can visit uh, Dave's uh, website. Uh, really, it was great to get a chance to talk to him. It was kind of almost odd. Uh, I interviewed him uh, on a Friday, and then I was out uh, in my car on Saturday, and I, the Tiger, came on the radio, and it was like, you know, kind of mind-boggling, a voice you've heard your entire life. Uh and have a chance to speak to him and then hear him on the radio the very next day was kind of cool. Uh, we're going to turn our attention now to a gentleman who's been in part of the Pittsburgh music scene for quite a long time. His name is John Vento. Uh, he has got a, um, I don't want to say brand new, it's been out for a little bit. The album is called Love, Lust, and Other Wreckage. came out uh, earlier this year. Uh, fantastic album. It's been doing quite well. Uh, iTunes and, and uh, selling physical copies as well. So we had a chance to talk to John about his experience, the album, uh, some work that is actually being spawned from the album, which I think is really uh, fascinating. So we're going to play you a little bit of John's music, and then we're going to get into that interview. Pictures of pictures and pictures of frames Looking through lenses for a sparkle of flame If I can see a love that looks like success Then maybe next time I won't make such a mess Searching for something with no shame and no blame A picture-perfect love that's not just a game Back in a movie on a bench in the park Thought I could find the look of love from afar Then into focus much to my surprise There stood an angel looking into my eyes I put love in a frame From that perspective It just isn't the same As being there And seeing how hard I fail Catching my breath Between heaven and hell Love can be frightening But it's beautiful too Rainbows and lightning Between me and you Stood an angel looking into my eyes 
bench in the park Thought I could find a look of love from afar Then in the focus, much to my surprise There stood an angel looking into my eyes Rainbows and lightning Pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have the man from Pittsburgh, John Vento, on the line. How you doing, John? Good, good. How are you today? Uh, doing very, very well. I wanted to uh, congratulate you on, on the album Love, Rust, and Other Wreckage. Uh, it's been out for a little while now, but close to six months at this point, but uh, a fantastic record, had a chance to enjoy, and wanted to kind of talk to you about the process of putting that album together. Um, I believe you worked with one of the Granati brothers on that, correct? Yeah. Well, they all kind of had a rule, but David Granati was our producer. Okay. And, uh, of course, was the main instrumentalist on the project. Mm -hmm. when, did, when did these songs start to take shape? If I recall, you had an album, it was like 2011, somewhere in that ballpark? Yeah, I, I um, had Wayward, Wayward Soul. Uh, of course, I've done a lot of recording with the Needs Hotel Band since then. Mm -hmm. And... Um, this started to take shape about two and a half years ago okay. with some, some ideas that didn't really fit the band that I brought to David. Okay. And that's when we got the thing rolling. Do you, um, do you tend to write alone or do you work kind of, how, how do the songs, you know, when you get an idea, do you get a vocal melody in your head or maybe a musical idea in your head or, or where do you, you know, kind of, where do these seeds planted? That's a great question. I, I uh, absolutely do not write alone. Uh -huh. uh, I, I, uh, everything I've done has been a collaborative experience, mm -hmm. and it's, it's been wonderful. So I might have ideas, you know, hum a melody. Mm -hmm. I might have a lyric line. I might have just something as a starting point. Or maybe music that was unfinished from previous projects, which right. was really the starting point for this record. Had some music tracks that I did with Buddy Hall years ago, and uh, used those as the basis. And then bring in the players, in this case, primary co-writer Bert Lobel, and okay. we worked with lyrics first. Okay. Uh, lyrics drove the project, without okay. question. Okay. Now, let me ask you this then. When you write lyrics, are you writing to a melody, or are you just getting almost like a poem and then try to set it to music? I mean, I've often wondered, you know, certain people approach that process very differently. Mm-hmm. We do both. Okay. Uh, I would say primarily the music drives the lyrics. Okay. So 
in other words, that melody uh, drives the lyrical content, at least the story and the vibe of the song and all that. Okay. And um, so I'm a music first guy, lyrics second, even though I might write lyrics first as far as just sketches. Right. And they're really just broad sketches. From the standpoint of creating melodies, I like to do what we call gibberish in the studio. Right. So we have some chord progressions. Yeah, an humble. I'll just go in and make noises. Kind of a scat. You and see from Steven those noises, we scat. Yeah. yeah. You see a lot of... Uh, I remember seeing Steven Tyler do that once. It was like, yeah, that's really... You know, it's kind of neat how they do that. And then he would just sing things that don't make sense. You see even Bono will do that, you know, in some of the... Oh, know, really? I didn't know that. I, I, Yeah, for us, it was some of the best songs on the album came about that way. Bert was in the studio with us as a writer. David was there. Shirley and Hawk was there. And I would just <clears throat> just gibberish. Now, out of that gibberish, a couple lines might come out. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them actually did stick in, in, the, final, in the final product. Yeah, and, and you, you know, that, I, I think that says something when you, when you have an idea for the melody more so than the words. Because sometimes when you hear singers that write the words first, sometimes it feels, and not always, but sometimes you feel it, it almost like they took a shoehorn to try to get it to fit into the parameter of, of a singable melody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, and then I don't know which way is easier. I'm not a songwriter myself. I, you know, I've always just been fascinated with the process because. No matter who I ask that question, the answer is different. You know, you think there's three, four ways of doing it, but everybody it really has their own formula. Do you do you ever try to write alone? Is that something that that you just don't enjoy, or is it just you, sometimes you need a ying to the yang? Well, you know, I well, you know, I'm a singer mm-hmm. and a lyricist, and right. uh, I have great ideas for arrangements, but I'm not an accomplished. <laughs> you know, I'm right. not a guitar player or a pianist, mm-hmm. so I need I I I need a musical partner if you will sure that really drives uh you know i might have ideas and and my instincts seem pretty good Mm -hmm. and uh i've worked well with accomplished musicians right but uh, but i would say that um for me it's it's collaborative 100 percent of the time yeah and and that's Uh, and even guys that say they do solo projects you know is it really solo when you look at all the great musicians that contributed and uh, yeah, yeah, no. I, there are very few artists that ever truly hand you a solo album. You know, every once in a while you'll get one person that's like bass, guitar, vocals, drum programming, um, something like that. But, but no, I mean, I, you think of that, um, and would you even necessarily want it? Because sometimes they think you need. You need someone to say, "Hey, that's a really great idea, John." Or, "John, that's that's you're missing the mark on that. You could do better." You know, other than just a producer. Sometimes yeah. other musicians, um, you know, there, there's some beauty in there's that. There's no question. Um, there you, really you, is, and it takes a different. It, it just takes on a, a, a different texture when mm-hmm. you have talented outside input. Right. Yeah, and, and you've got to be objective sometimes. You know, I think you know some. Some people might say, okay, this is going to be a quote quote solo album. You know, I just want players. But sometimes you, you, you do need collaborative, you know, even if it's not a band. Even if you collaborate with guitarist A for three songs and guitarist B for yep. two songs, um, you know, it's still you. Um, but I think sometimes that those, those flavors make a big difference. Um, as far it does, as. Yeah, I don't believe in solo projects, I don't, they don't exist in my book. Yeah. It, the the one I have to say the one song that really stuck out to me, "Let Me Down Easy," 
who's that on guitar? Oh, that's Dave Granati, all the way. Yeah, that's a beautiful... Um, but you know, that song was written by a local Pittsburgh writer, a country writer, named Martin Vincent. Okay. And he was performing an acoustic show, This oh boy, this is probably a year ago, and he played that song, and it was real country. You know, I mean, real country. It was dripping of Nashville. And after the set, I went up to him and introduced myself. And I'd known Marty, and I said, man, I'd love to record that song. I'm like, there's something about it. It, it fits the concept of the album. And, mm-hmm. and as soon as I brought it to Dave, Dave said, yeah, great song, but it's, you know, it's what everybody does. We're going to do something different with it. Yeah. And he's the one that approached it. I give Dave a lot of credit. Dave Renati approached it with that reggae vibe. Mm-hmm. And those great guitar. I mean, when I brought it back to Martin after we we recorded the demo, he was in a state of shock. He sat in my car and was like, "You ruined my song," <laughs> you know. And a lot of writers they go through that. Yeah, it is. And uh, later, what, uh, you know, when it was done, and he'll tell you to this day, he's so proud of it, and we're proud that he contributed that, you know, that composition to the album. Yeah, that, that's got to be kind of like letting somebody else raise your kids in a way, you know, when you turn <laughs> well, over that song. Well yeah, I mean it's it's yeah it's a it's a I'm sure it's a very a, a proud moment when you hear somebody doing it. I think it's a really a standout track on the album. Thank um, you. That you know you, someone does a great job with it. You know you're humble, but it's got to be like you know oh if I did it I would do it this way or you know that it wasn't at all what I was thinking or you know sometimes you probably learn something you know you hear it and go wow that's that's so different than what I you know had in your head and that's one of the things I think that's great when when people collaborate on music is you know. Very few of us have all the answers to make the perfect piece of music, um, but you know there's some real, more. some real beauty in the, in the the process of collaboration. Um, lyric wise, um, as, as you go to put words to to the to the melodies you've come up with, do you do you tend to have like maybe a notebook or something with just some ideas for what you want to sing about, or do you let it? Mm-hmm. Do you, try to digest musically what you're hearing and then just write off the vibe you're feeling from the song? Well, typically, typically the vibe of the song would drive the lyrics, and that's that's exactly what we do with the Needs Hotel Band. Um, d- depending on, you know, the style of the music and the story that, that possibly could come out of it. However, with Love, Lust, and Other Wreckage, we knew by design that everything was thematic everything mm-hmm. was relationship driven you know love lost another record sure good bad and the ugly so this one was really tricky because we didn't have a whole we didn't have a blank canvas and a big right. scope of where we were going to go lyrically so we have 13 tracks that are all on the th- same subject the same general subject right and we had to make them unique uh, so this took a lot more time and was probably one of the more difficult projects lyrically um, that I've ever worked on, and I, I give my pal Bert Lobble, co-writer on almost all the stuff, and who drove much of it, mm-hmm. uh, I give him a lot of credit, I because think he kept us on on track on that. Th- yeah, and on theme, I mean I, think, I, I often think about that with, with um, concept albums, that it's probably a re- like a blessing and a curse it's probably a, a blessing up to about song 5 or 6, when you, you kind of think you're telling the story, but then you start to run out of unique Things to talk about. Yep. Um, yep. It, it, you know, I've, I've often thought of it. You know, it's it's kind of nice to have somebody say, "Okay, here's a great idea for a, a concept." And, okay, as a songwriter, you're you're probably driven by you know, digging into the different things about the story. But after a while, you're probably like, track seven starting to sound a lot like track eleven here. You know, or I've 
yeah. no idea what you know you're to track 12 it and could no easily idea the, go down that yep yeah exactly yep. i often want it could go down I often wonder if that's why on some of these concept albums there aren't a little, little instrumental pieces in between songs to, to give the singer a break or to, time to think of something else to write about. Um, but that it, you know, it came out is such a great album. How, do you have an idea did, roughly how many players are on this album? I mean, just off the top of your head. Oh yeah, well, primarily, well, Dave Granati is is primarily the instrumentalist with mm. with almost all the guitar work and the bass guitar. Okay. Uh, we have a couple cameo appearances by Ian Arthur's on acoustic guitar and Cheryl Renovato on electric, and then we use three drummers: Joffo Simmons, who's with Joe Grishecki's band. Okay. Um, Bob Featherland, um, and uh, Jules Granati, and then one keyboard player with Herm uh, Granati, and okay. Cheryl Ann Hawk is our only background vocalist. Okay. So really, it was minimalistic as far as. Typically, there would be a lot more players than that on a project of this nature. Right. But we wanted to get, you know, we wanted to get cohesiveness. For example, from the beginning, we made a decision to use the Rickenbach guitar to have that bad finger, you know, right. that sure. 1960s British kind of vibe. Right. And, uh, you know, Dave, Dave and I, that was an early decision. And also the female vocalist, the only other voice beside mine on the record is Cheryl Ann. Mm-hmm. So that's another consistent thread throughout, you know, all yeah. 13 tracks. Yeah, and that's a good point when you look at this when you're doing an album with with multiple players. That if you start to influence, introduce a lot of different players, you could it could have a really nice effect on the way the songs turn out, can be, or it can make it feel very disjointed. Um, but being that you're going for a theme across that, it, it makes sense to have that consistency of you know tones and. and you know, yep. it's like using the same color palette to paint. Uh, I like to equate it to. Um, you've got some shows coming up. I see in, in, you're doing a show in Braddock, a show in Apollo. You're going to be on television mm-hmm. tomorrow, actually, as we're speaking. Am I correct? Yeah, Dave and I are heading to Harrisburg tonight. Uh, the show's tomorrow morning. We're going to do some acoustic. Uh, we're going to perform acoustically, which I love, love, love that. Now, you know, it's a chance to really make the story and the lyric stand out. Yeah. Now, is this your first shot at television, or is this something you've done before? A first time performing live. Uh, I've been on television shows, you know, with, mm. whether it's promoting the Blues Festival or a benefit concert with the Needs Hotel Band, or okay. you know, I've I've been in those environments multiple times. But mm-hmm. you know, it's funny you bring that up. I never thought of it. This will be the first live performance on television. Um, I've had performance on radio, but. Yeah, this be the first live without a net. That's a that's got it's got to be fun. I, I think that's got to you know add to a, a, a bit of an electricity to a performance. You know, you get the the, you know, the juices flowing. Of course, that might be less. Oh yeah, absolutely. Might be odd, you know, being that you're used to performing in front of an audience with you know with cameras, you don't get any feedback. You, you hear. You know, I've had a chance to interview a couple actors who have taken shots at becoming musicians. And they always talk about how you know you're on television and things. You don't get the the feedback from an audience that you do the way you step up to a mic and you know in a club. Um, and you know a lot of a lot of people love that energy that's coming back. So, um, oh, absolutely. Now, do you do much touring outside the region? I know you have quite a few dates in the Pittsburgh area. No, I primarily stay in the in the region, and you know. Um, my youngest child just turned 18. She graduates mm-hmm. high school this year. Mm-hmm. 
she heads off to college next year, so that'll give me a little more freedom. Um, little, and I little, certainly would love to. Uh, I'm sorry. A little less money, a little more freedom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little more than a little less. I'd say substantially less, but that's for another day. But uh, so you know, we've with the Neats Hotel Band, we played uh, the Bitter End in New York City a couple mm. years ago, and did a live CD. It spun out of that. Played some dates in New Jersey, and so you know, I would love to go on the road, and and we've been to Cleveland, and. But it's got to be the right fit. I'm just, I'm not going to uh, grind away and just, um, you know, bang coffee shops along the way. And, right. Yeah, I want to be in front of an audience that's an audience that's there to listen to the kind of music that we, you know, that yeah. we produce. Yeah. So I'm pretty selective. Michael's been working on that for me. We're going to Wilkes-Barre next week. Okay. We have a television show there next week. It'd be nice. Excellent, and I'm assuming you you have um, you have hard, hard copies of the CD available, like at your shows, or is this yes. strictly digital? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. No, no, we're I'm primarily physical. Um, you know, the digital things out there in a big way on all the platforms. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but no, we we've done pretty well with physical. That's good to hear. You know, that's one of the things that uh, you you often wonder because it it became. The one way that local bands, you know, could get their music out were, you know, put the CD together, sell it at the merch booth with with digitals, you know, it's, it's a it's a tough grind. Um, you know, there's no money to be made in that. Not that there's money to be made necessarily at bulk production of a CD no. at the merch booth either. And let's be honest, there's not a lot of money to be made music. Period. Um, you know. Correct. That, it's that's, live performances and uh, and possibly selling a song. I mean, that, that's, yeah. Of course, for us the goal we, we've got a stage play that's coming out of the album is the soundtrack to an upcoming stage play okay can you talk a little about the same title Love, Lust, and Other Wreckage when, when do you expect that to make its debut or, or can you talk a little bit about oh, that that'll be debut yeah sure September 13th and 14th okay of this year at the Oaks Theater in Oakmont, Pennsylvania okay and it'll be a stage play with um, you know a, a, it's going to have primarily a male lead actor Mm-hmm. With three supporting female actors, and it's going to be all dialogue, minimal set. Okay. And it's going to be a, a dark comedy written by Amy Hartman. Okay. Who's a brilliant playwright, very well known, with great credentials. Uh, so that's hopefully that production will result in um, not only a great uh, critical acclaim, but also mm-hmm. help us from the standpoint of the investment we've made in the music. Sure, production. sure. Was the music somewhat of, of a um, inspiration to the play, or was it uh, vice versa, or how did how did the, the kind of relationship um, form? The music was one hundred percent the inspiration for the play. Okay. Last year at this time, when we were starting to nail down some rough mixes, I brought the uh, thirteen tracks to Amy, who mm-hmm. I knew as a playwright, mm-hmm. and I said, "Look, I'm telling a story in this thing, and I think that story could be." even taken a step further on, on a stage play and she just jumped right on it and she agreed to lead the way and I mean I don't know anything about for live performance yeah from a standpoint of stage plays no so she's running with it and the music will be featured now as a musician you know in, in stepping into that world can you have thoughts on what opening might might feel like for you to sit there and watch that I mean is that I imagine it's got to wow. be it's like you're you're mentioning the, the gentleman who wrote the song and then you performed it. You know that's got to be somewhat of a you know an interesting experience. Yeah, it's a, 
it, we're so into this stage play planning right now that I haven't. I thank you for that question because I've got to give that consideration. I kind of haven't gotten that far along yet, yeah. but I will tell you we've made the decision that we're not going to perform live at the stage play. It's going to be re- right. the, the songs will be recorded. You know, right. they'll be off the album. Sure. Um, and in a way, I'm kind of relieved about that because a live performance has some risk to it, especially right. when you try to tie it in with a stage play. Yeah. So plus, it it's going to be an exciting weekend for sure. Plus taking away the live performance. I'm assuming if you were to play live at something like that, you're going to be worried about mic levels and tuning and things like that. Oh. This way you can sit back and soak it exactly. in. Exactly. You know, that, that's, that's kind <clears throat> exactly. of kind of it's like somebody else raising your kid again exactly that's a yep. that's a, yep. a neat experience all right well john i want to thank you so much again we'll have links to the album we'll keep everybody abreast of uh, ticket information for the live performance of the play and your shows and i want to thank you so much for your time today man oh thank you i really appreciate and all the support you give to independent musicians artists all right a big thank you to john vento uh, love lust and other wreckage is available now uh, you can get that uh, over on his website it's john vento v-e-n-t-o.com uh, so you can check that out also want to thank uh, dave bickler with uh, his album dark light which is also available that just came out uh, middle of march so uh, both of those are available now if you still buy physical media i'm sure you know where to go to get those if you're buying digital media uh, head over to iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, wherever it is you consume your digital media. But check them both out. Uh, great music. Uh, something a little bit different if you're looking for something uh, maybe different to shake up your musical listening. These are some great choices. So until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening. You can visit us at ironcityrocks.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Are all forward slash Iron City Rocks, and you can email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Also, want to thank everybody who participated in our NCAA March Madness tournament. Uh, we did this for the first year, and we hope the folks who did it really enjoyed it. We uh, it was a free thing to play. You could go through, pick your teams. We picked teams. Uh, we sucked. Some people did way better than we did, and we gave away a lot of prizes. So, uh, we're hoping to do that in the future. Um, maybe around football season we'll do something uh, to kind of pull in some sports fans and, and uh, metalheads and rock and roll fans as well. So hope you all enjoyed that. So until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening. <laughs>